Okay, welcome everybody to the first full episode of the Global Gamers Podcast. I'm Ed. I'm Ryan. And we are so excited to be doing our first actual episode of this podcast. And we decided that what better way um, to get into this than to give all of you a sense of which games we love. So you can decide whether you are on the same page as us or if you think that we don't know what we're talking about and you're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, we're kind of going to give a rundown of our top 10 games each, give a little explanation, background, and what we like about them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing I'll say is we don't know what the other person picked. No, we so. don't. I mean, <laughs> I think you probably have a sense of what I'm going to say for certain things. But, yes, um, we have an inkling of what each other's preferences are. Yeah, but we're going to keep it overall as a surprise. And I think, crucially as well, um, and I think it's a good thing, is that we took two different approaches to how we made these lists. We did. So I think I I just went for straight up, these are the 10 games that I love the most. And I don't care if they overlap a ton and have similar mechanics. I just love these games. And that may mean that for some people you agree with me and for some people you might be like, gosh, he's a shell for uh, designer X, <laughs> publisher Y. <laughs> but I don't apologize. That's just how it's going to be. Well, and honestly, I feel like I'm kind of glad we came are coming at it from a different way. And I feel like the way that you're talking about it is the more straightforward one. Like people hear top 10 games, what you're talking about, your top 10 favorite ones is what people are going to think of. Right. So how did, how did you do your list? Yeah. So I'll say a little bit about how I did mine. The basic idea was I was thinking about it. And I will admit, part of the reason I chose to do it this way is because I think in some ways we have similar taste in games. Absolutely. And I, I did. Mean, we, we play games together. So, like, <laughs> we do. Unless you and I were playing a game that the other person hated, makes sense. Right. But we probably will have some overlap. Yes. And so, with that in mind, I kind of thought, like, if we did the top 10 and I just did a straight one the same way as you, we'd probably have very similar ones. So, instead, I took it in a slightly different direction. So, here's basically what I did I thought let's say was doing a weekend away doing board gaming out in uh, Shenandoah or something uh, park near here um, and I was thinking what 10 games would I bring and it, with that in mind I kind of thought different j game genres picking one or two favorites from each and just to have like a nice sampling of different types of games so that makes sense I mean if I did that I don't think uh all my stuff for the weekend would fit in the trunk because um, <laughs> some of these, yeah. as we'll get into, have uh, big boxes. But we'll That's get into very that. true. Um, I would so, have to rent, rent a second car for the I, games. Yeah, just like have a tow truck behind. Um, so, with that said, do you want to kick us off and give us your number ten? Sure, I'd love to get us started. Um, Tell me. So, coming in at number ten for me is Dune Imperium. Oh, this is a game that I have not played, but I'm intrigued. Tell me. Yes. And so I guess what I really enjoy about this game is it combines some mechanics that I like from other games. You know, you get a little bit of worker placement in there, but it also has a deck building component. And I feel like those two pair together in a really interesting way. 
Um, I w- full disclosure, I'll, I also will say that um, I've got a couple friends that are very good at this game, and I'm I played it enough with them to you know know the basics of the game, but not enough that I consistently beat them. So right. I feel like it's kind of a growth game for me, where like I'm like going up against people that are more experienced than me. I'm not gonna say. Uh the game I'm thinking of right now, but I think we might discuss, or I might have some questions about Dune Imperium again when we discuss a game that will be on my list at some point this evening. Sounds good. I definitely have a strong guess on what that one might be. <laughs> yes. And I think most people, if you're tuned into this thing, you are well aware that these two games are often compared to each other. But we'll get to that at some point. Yeah. So, Ed, what is what is your number 10 game on the list? So, my number 10 is actually uh, not going to be fulfilling the prophecy of not fitting in the trunk because my number 10 is actually a relatively compact small box game. And my number 10 is Cascadia. Ooh. Okay. Yes. Excellent. So, Cascadia um, was a big hit uh, for 2021, I believe. Won a ton of awards. Or was it 2022? But either way, won a ton of big awards. and It was Game of the Year, I think. Yes, and what I love about this game is it is by no means the most complex game on my list. It may even be the least complex of everything on my list for my top ten. But this is a game that is really accessible. You can teach it to almost anybody. It is peaceful. It is a great puzzle. And something that I really value in games is... um. In addition to like artwork and component quality and how it looks, it's just, if I lose, do I still feel like I won? Because I'm just really proud of what I've built. Yeah. And Cascadia definitely does that. Yeah. And I've taken this home and played it with my family. I've played it with you. I've played it with random people at our local board game store. And yeah. it is so easy to teach, so easy to learn. And everyone seems to have a good time. Even people who played the first time and missed certain things... Yes. still love it and want to play again. I'm a big fan of board game expansions. Yes. This is one game where I don't even think it needs it because it's so tight and the replay value is just in it. Yeah. And I wouldn't I would want it to become like sprawling by adding in I don't know what other animals are not in it. Yaks or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think what other animals yeah, are. Yeah, snakes. Widely seen in the in the Pacific, Pacific Northwest, Northwest, right? Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot. There you go. <laughs> the Bigfoot expansion coming soon. Yeah. Okay, so number nine. Number what nine. What is your number nine? So my number nine game is a party game, and that is Just One. This is another game that I have not played. I'm zero for two with your list right now, which <laughs> well, is odd. But let's we tell, me, get tell it... me why I should play this game. <laughs> yeah, we got to get it to the table. So basically how this game works is some of the mechanics are similar to code names. You're basically trying to get one person on your team to guess a word. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trick is, it's a cooperative game. Okay. Um, basically, the whole group is cooperative. And so what you're trying to do is, everyone has a little whiteboard, and you write down one word clues on it. And then one person closes their eyes, and they're the guesser. And before they open their eyes, all of the clue givers show what they the one word they wrote to each other if anyone wrote the same word it's erased oh and then the guesser does not get that clue so you it's a little bit of like a game of chicken where 
you want to give a clue that's specific enough, but you don't want to be too obvious so that you overlap. Right. My number nine is a game that you and I in particular have history with. Ooh, this is Scythe. Detail. Scythe is number <laughs> nine. Okay. So Scythe is a Stonemaier game published in 2016. Yes. And it is a big hit. You've probably heard of this game if you're listening to this show. It is an area control game, but it's also kind of an engine building yes. game um, because while it is super scary looking with a big map and mechs and all that kind of stuff, it is way more about maximizing your turns and your resources and getting to the end as quickly as possible um, right. and paying attention as a result to how other people are pacing themselves. No, I think that you're right because the tempo of the game can change a lot. Yeah, stuff. and you could think that you have time and then you just don't because as soon as somebody gets the final objective out of their six, instantly the game's done. No extra turns, nothing. Yeah. Which can be brutal, but I just think it's really smooth and rewarding to upgrade your base and just get a ton of resources and just put those stars in place and gain popularity and strength. Right, And it has just a really unique way of having combat be available but not necessary the way the combat works is really fun and that yes. it's not um you know just rolling dice like risk you get to like spend strength that you have that people know you have and then you can also kind of bid with strength cards you get to use based on how many mechs you have on a spot i just yeah. really enjoy it the artwork is incredible the yes. theme is really cool it's this alternate universe 1920s post great war scenario in eastern europe where everybody's trying to take control of this like run down dystopian factory and there's yeah. mechs but at the same time like peasants in the field it, very cool um one thing that i will say is that and i think this applies to both of us is that we have not played with two of the three expansions so we yes. have not played with the rise of fenris which is the big expansion that people often say makes this game absolutely amazing um but i'm a little bit skeptical about it because it adds in a campaign element to the game and i'm not a huge right campaign player and the airship um, is the other the, one the airship right? is the other one yeah. um which i would probably get that more than rise of fenris unless i really wanted to commit to trying the campaign but i just love the base game um with all the different factions and i do have the invaders from a far faction that adds in the final two. It's really fun. Yeah. Albion and then... I forget what the other one is. It's like Japanese themed. Yeah. Um, the purple yeah. one. Right. Yeah. So that is my number nine, Scythe. Sweet. Number eight. Tell us. Number eight, I've got Betrayal at House on the Hill. Really? This yes. is in the top ten. Yeah. So the wow. reason the reason I put it in the top ten, a few reasons. The main reason is I wanted at least one cooperative non-party game okay in my top 10 and i mean another popular one pandemic but honestly i like this game more than pandemic okay and and horrified and horrified i, I mean those are solid games too but yeah. just personal preference i i enjoy i particularly in, enjoy playing um um betrayal and i think it comes down to a few things for me the two main things I really like about the game are one, I love the idea of the house being different every time, the mm -hmm. tiles and like 
the modular board game design where it's like you're exploring the house tile yeah. by tile as you go. And also then the haunt is completely different. Precisely. So, like, I mean, this game, I wouldn't say it has the most replay value of all games, but, like, right. there are 50 different haunts in the base game, and then there's an expansion that adds another 50 plus yeah. an additional level to the house. I haven't played that because I don't even yeah. feel like I need to. We should get it to the table. I, I picked I, it up the so other So I have yeah. played Betrayal so many times. I had, like... That is kind of like the first game that's that I got on my shelf, like as an adult. Yeah. So it has been played a ton of times. It's a little bit beaten up, and even after all of that, I still haven't done all the haunts. Yeah, you've probably done what, like maybe half of them. Maybe, and like there've been a couple that have had repeats. Um, and I definitely prefer some more than others, and think some are more balanced than any, others. Any, but like any favorite haunts. Um. I don't know if I can say I have a favorite one, but I have a favorite experience with one just Go because ahead. of how yeah. funny it was. It was, I actually was on a skiing trip in <laughs> cool. West Virginia with a mutual friend of ours and she and I and a couple other people were playing Betrayal and we were playing and we built out the house more than I have ever built it out in my entire life. Like we basically got every room you were of out of house. tiles by the Basically end of the game. Basically <laughs> out of tiles before the haunt was triggered. And then we pulled the haunt, and the haunt was basically collapsed the entire house except for like three rooms. And oh, so it was just it was really funny. So we basically went from yeah. having the biggest house to having no house. Is that the one where it's gradually like getting sucked into the No, no, no. Hole? This was instantly destroy the entire house. Oh my yeah. word. Yeah. So it was just <laughs> it was a very memorable experience. But That's anyway. Pretty funny. Um Anything else about Betrayal? Um, I mean, I think you hit on the other one. The other reason I like the game is the replay value of the different haunts. Um, between that and the house, uh, yeah. Especially Halloween season, always got to uh, get that one out to the Definitely, table a couple yeah. times. Definitely, yeah. Like, cannot let the month of October go by without getting at least one game of Betrayal in. Totally agree. How about you? What's your number eight? My number eight, and this is going to be uh, the first of couple games from a certain <laughs> publisher. Okay. <laughs> number eight, Raiders of the North Sea. Raiders of the North by Sea. By Garfield Games, designed by Shem Phillips. Nice. What do you like about the game? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, Raiders of the North Sea is part of the North Sea trilogy of games, which was the first, um, they call them the, the medieval trilogies that Garfield Games is doing. So the North Sea Trilogy was the first one, and then there's the West Kingdom Trilogy, and now they're on the South Tigris. So we did North, West, now we're doing South, and eventually the East. I have not played the other two games in the North Sea Trilogy. Consensus seems to be that people don't like them very much, and they didn't, they weren't that well received. So like they never got the big boxes. Um, one of them is out of print, that kind of thing. But Raiders of the North Sea was such a big hit it's really that it just good. really blew up this small publisher from New Zealand. And since then, they have really built on what Raider, Raiders set up. So this game, as the name kind of suggests, it is Viking-themed. The artwork by um, this guy who goes by, his name is The Miko, is really fun. It's like this very loose, illustrated, rough style. The characters, the Vikings. In this game, even more than some of the other ones, the character work is amazing. They yeah. look really dynamic. They have really cool outfits, weapons, facial expressions, all of it. And what you're basically doing is you and the other players, you're all part of the same Viking clan, 
but you are trying to impress your chieftain by getting the most stuff for your Viking clan. And you do this by raiding territories across the sea. Mm -hmm. Um, And the further away you go from home base, the more points you'll get. And you also get points from, you know, doing tribute to the chieftain. And then with the expansions, which is really what makes this that high, the um, Hall of Heroes and the Fields of Fame expansions, they add in additional mechanics where you can go questing, where you can fight these enemy Vikings from other tribes called Jarls, and you can kill them, or you can recruit them into your team. You can drink mead and strengthen your team. Um, when your own Vikings die, they go to Valhalla, and the, Val- the Valkyries take them there, and you get points for killing off your own team. They can take wounds and bleed. It's very, very fun, very dynamic, and there's a lot of like different paths to victory. Yeah, um, there are. One final thing I will say about this is that Garfield Games actually did a re-implementation of this game called Raiders of Scythia that is in their Ancient Anthology yes. series. And I had played that version, and I was on the fence for a while about which one I should get, but the consensus seems to be Raiders of the North Sea with both expansions is the best way to go, but Raiders of Scythia base game is better than Raiders of the North Sea base game, if that makes sense. Because what Scythia did basically was it changed a theme, so you're like Scythian warriors riding across Eurasia, and instead of going further away from your Viking village, you're going further away from Scythia, so instead of the fortresses being the big raid, it's Greece. So you go like through parts of the Middle East all the way to Greece. And they take out certain things like the Valkyrie and the so killing your crew, the fame, but they add like a drink that you can use to heal your people. Mm. I played it. I still prefer Raiders of the North Sea um, overall with both expansions, and I prefer that art style. But yeah. if you wanted to get one of these games and you didn't want to invest in all the expansions, maybe look at Raiders of Scythia. Yeah. Oh, what is your play. number seven? So my number seven game is a game that I spent a lot of time playing during early days of the pandemic okay. and that is it wasn't pandemic it was not pandemic <laughs> did not want to tempt fate right that uh that on the nose right <laughs> um but my number seven game is dominion Ooh, and another game i have not played yeah another game <laughs> you, you you we haven't had a, the chance to get to the table together but um I think what I like about this game is I wanted to, I'm a I'm a fan of deck building games and I wanted to get at least one deck building game on the list. Um, so yeah, just kind of like basic elevator pitch for this game is you start out with a deck that's mostly money and victory points, and then you are over the course of your turns chaining together actions to play additional cards uh, drawing additional cards earning money earning buys and you're buying up both cards to let you lengthen your turns in all of those ways additional actions additional cards additional coins and then you're basically but you're always working towards buying victory points okay and then the person with the most victory points at the end of the game wins and Endgame is triggered in a few different ways. One is the there's a three different value of victory point card, and when the pile with the highest value pile, when the last one of those is bought, the game is over that turn. 
or um, the cards that you're buying for the deck building element that you're adding to your deck. There are 10 piles of 10 cards in the base game. Mm -hmm. And if three of those piles are exhausted, the game also ends. Okay. Um, this is a game that I know has a lot of expansions. It has Each one ton. comes in a full-size box. Yes. And it's a game that's a little bit older, right? Uh, yes, so, I want to say the original game was maybe 2008. That sounds about right. So my question with this and part of like why I think I've been a bit hesitant about it is, is it one of those things that's kind of difficult to get into at this point? Like, would you be able to just get the base game and be content? Or would you feel like you have to buy this backlog of over a decade of expansions? Or I see what you're could saying. Could you like buy a few that really stand out? Is it still releasing new content? Yes. Or like, you know, are there other deck... What I've always wondered is like, are there other deck builders out there that are like more modern, more streamlined, that are so, easier to get into? So I would say um, there may be. Um, I So I guess in some ways it's a, it's a legacy game for me in the sense that like I'm in it already right. and playing it. Um, I will say once you've played it, and games like it a fair bit. The base game is a little bit stale. repetitive yeah. and stale. But one of the best features of this game is, you know, you're playing with 10 different cards each game, but I want to say the base game comes with, oh, what, maybe 50 different cards? So you can switch out and, like, do customizable ones and like no no game is the same okay which is which is fun i'm definitely down to try it for sure i don't know if like especially if you have a lot of the content if it would make sense for like me to invest in it personally. right but it sounds, totally it sounds fun sense. um so my number seven and this is going to be part of the garfield games uh, marathon in my top 10. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think this may be the first game that we will have as a crossover on our list. Uh -huh. I would be s very surprised if this is not on your list. Okay. My number seven, Architects of the West Kingdom. Nice. So, as you well know, Architects of the West Kingdom is a masterpiece of worker placement. Um, it really is. As I mentioned with Raiders of the North Sea, this is part of the new, well, the next trilogy that Garfield Games did in the West Kingdom. So this was the first of that trilogy. Yes. And this one is designed also by Shem Phillips, but for the West Kingdom trilogy, he also has a co-designer, um, S.J. McDonald, who I will talk about in reference to another game on this list. And they co-designed the whole West Kingdom trilogy, and Architects is the first in that trilogy, and is set basically in the Carolingian Empire in Western Europe in the 8th or 9th century, and you are basically architects helping build up the kingdom for the king. So you can do this by building buildings for the kingdom, working on the king's cathedral, um, and in the expansion, building wonders. Mm -hmm. So there are two really special... Um, key components to the main game. The first one is the virtue track. So you can decide if you want to be very virtuous, 
Mm -hmm. So you get points for being virtuous, and it also lets you work on the cathedral. Or you can be corrupt, in which case you won't get the points, or you can even lose points, but it will give you the opportunity to cheat on your taxes. Yeah, you can cut some go to the black market. Bit. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a choice. And sometimes you may even want to be corrupt and then race to get some virtue towards the end of the game so you can make up some points. Right. So I think that is an important distinction. Yeah. It's not like a whole hog thing where it's like you decide early game, you're doing one thing and then are stuck with that the whole game. No, it's flexible. And some of it will be based on which asymmetric player power you have at the beginning, which is also very cool. Um, the other big thing that is essential in talking about this game is the approach it has to worker placement. So you start off with, I think it's like 20 workers, which is yeah. a lot, and you don't have to unlock them. You have all of them at the beginning, and you can use them however you want. And the more workers you put on a single spot, the more resources you get. Right. But the way that balances out is that you can go to a spot on the board and you can bring back your own workers or you can arrest groups of other people's workers, capture them, imprison them on your board and then drop them off in the prison at the guardhouse and you get paid money to drop off other people's workers. Yeah. So that's really fun. It's a nice check to balance out the uh, the effect of having yeah. multiple workers. Yeah, on one the thing spot. I will say about this game though is that I've had a couple people play the base game or the base game with just the Age of Artisans expansion and mm -hmm. not be wowed by it, particularly in a two-player game. I think this is a game that thrives on a higher player count because of that interaction of not knowing who's going to take your stuff when. Yeah. Um, but when you throw in the second expansion, the Works of Wonder, people really seem to be won over by this game because the wonders are really cool that these big chunky wooden blocks that give you like extra actions or help you move up a new track the influence track and the influence track itself you can sacrifice influence for discounts on certain things mm -hmm. which gives you some flexibility right. and it also introduces a princess and a profiteer um, who are two like characters that move around the board and you get um, rewards or punishments from being on the spot where they are. So it just adds in a lot. This is a really fun dynamic game. Yeah. And like Raiders and Scythe, um, you really have to pay attention to how much longer the game has um, and maximize right. how much you can do because there's no rounds, there's no limited number of turns. It just goes until a certain number of spots in the guild hall are taken up and then everyone gets one more turn and that's it. Yep. So that is my number seven. Nice. No, that is definitely a favorite of mine um, as I well. <laughs> Architects of the West Kingdom. Um, but yeah, I will go to, I think we're on number six. Number six. Great. So my number six game is uh, one that you've mentioned already, so we don't need to belabor the point, but uh, that is Cascadia. Oh. Um, I didn't expect this to make your top ten. I'm very happy. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Cascadia it, as It makes well. sense it would go to the cabin, I guess. Yeah. Well, right. You've definitely got that, that rustic charm factor if this is for <laughs> a cabin cabin weekend as, as uh, you know, I painted the scenario. But um, like you, I think big plus of this game for me is... It's easy to pick up and learn, but like, it's there's so many trade offs that you're playing with almost immediately because you're inevitably having to make choices between you know laying your tiles for your uh, different ecosystems and then 
you know, doing your scoring for the animals. And, like, you're quickly going to run into situations where you, you can't have the best of both worlds. And right. you've got kind of got to, like, pick and choose. Especially if you're waiting for something to come out of that bag. Yeah. Uh, an animal chip, and it just isn't coming. And you just have to pivot because you don't right. you don't know how long you're going to have to wait and you might never get it if you're close to the end of the game or if someone else is trying to get the same thing as you. Right, no, absolutely. And for folks that haven't played this game before, like the basic idea is you have one tile with, I think, one to two different ecosystems on it. Yep. Mountains, river. Mountain, river, forest, prairie, and wetlands. Yeah. I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were you were right there for that. Um, and so, and then between one and three different animals that it could be played on it, but you have to choose only one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then each turn you're picking up one animal token, one of five. That one is four. One of four. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, one of four. And paired with um, one paired with tile. one one land tile. And so you have some flexibility. There's little pine cone tiles that let you pick different ones that aren't necessarily naturally paired but I mean on some level yeah you're limited in what I mean, you even can paying one of those pinecone nature tokens is a choice that you have to make that because each of those is a point at the end of the game so right. if you're sacrificing exactly. it that could still be um, exactly a weighty decision yeah but no great game and uh yeah a lot a lot a lot going for that one that's a very fun well one. represented on these two lists for sure how about you? What's number six? Number six is Circadian's First Light. So, yeah, this is my third Garfield game in a row. I'm not sure I remember this was a Garfield it game. It is, and yeah. the reason why it's different, so it is not as well known. I don't think it has generally been as successful as the medieval trilogy games, or even some of the ancient anthology games but there are a couple reasons for that the biggest one is that very quickly after they first released this game in 2019 they decided to pivot and announce a new second edition they would Mm -hmm. come in a bigger box have updated artwork and a built-in um, mini expansion. I remember you uh, you wait waiting for that game to I come out. I actually sold my first excited. edition and then got the second edition. Um, so they kind of did a rebrand because they wanted to have it fit better with subsequent games in the Circadians universe and have right. them all just you know have that um, synergy. Right. The other big reason, well, there's I'm gonna give two more. Second big reason I think is the artwork. It is not artwork by the Miko like the medieval trilogy games Raiders of the North Sea Architects of the West Kingdom so it's different the artist who works on this game is actually Sam Phillips Shems Phillips's brother ooh and his, universes collide right yeah family business and his style it is definitely not for everybody I really like it I don't think you like it as much well to me like the for me the I've only played this game I think once or twice with mm-hmm. you and for me I, you I'm, played you played the first edition, so you haven't yes. even gotten the updated artwork experience. I will say, like, um, this game wasn't on my list, but I don't think it was the artwork for me. I think it was more just... Um, I think when we played it, I was just kind of getting into, like, more complex worker and dice placement games. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
Yeah. And I, I will say I this is I want to give it another play. This is a pretty complex game because um, the third the third thing that makes it a little bit different is that this game is not designed by Shem Phillips. This mm-hmm. is a solo design by S.J. McDonald, who worked on the West Kingdom trilogy. Yes. But he designed this by himself. And so I guess it's a little bit of a spin-off kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But the thing that makes it complex is it's not just a worker placement game, it's actually a dice placement game. Yes. So in addition to figuring out like where you'd want to put your worker, you also have to factor in what the value on your die is because you may want to put it in certain places where it will be most beneficial. And it's not always the case that a six is the best thing. There are some places where putting a value that's too high, like the negotiation board, can hurt you. Right. make you have a penalty whereas sometimes it's very good to put a high value thing um, so this one it is it's really cool it is a lot of fun love playing it and it is also very different for me in terms of the theme because as yeah. I actually didn't mention that this game is a sci-fi themed game and the whole premise is that you the circadians are humans who are going to this alien planet and you are basically doing research um, fulfilling contracts so you're like researching things that are on the planet you're moving around the planet board you yeah. are upgrading your um, your space station and you are negotiating with the different um, local tribes and each of the three tribes is a different alien race and they're really cool because like one of them um, is green and they want you to give them algae in return for points or benefits and then there's like a blue one and they want electric power and then there's a red one that like are kind of militaristic and they want you to give them the red gems um yeah yeah i think if you like Mm sci-fi if you like a little bit more of a complex game um i strongly recommend this and i think of my of the games on my top 10 this is probably the most niche one yeah no it's a fun one and um i mean i know i mentioned that i've only played it a few times it's been a while and i'd love to uh give it another go because I think I've played some more games similar to this now and I think I enjoy yeah, it more. We will talk about a game yeah. that is similar to this that also involves oh, S.J. McDonald. <laughs> I think we certainly will. Yes. So are we to number five? We are now entering the top five. We are to the top five. Yeah. Getting higher to the top of the mountain with every round. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're probably going to have some more repeats as we go on this list. It's, and... Yeah, the top five <laughs> I think it's going to be full of them. Yeah, it certainly is. So, uh, number five for me is a game that you've already mentioned, and that is Scythe. Oh. And I, I'm a big fan of Scythe, and especially as far as area control games, definitely one of my favorites. And I think um, I was going back and forth between this and another game I suspect is on your list. Um but the reason I settled on Scythe is something you alluded to earlier, and that is you can excel at this game and win this game without being very combat forward. Like You can win with zero combat. You really can, yeah. exactly. I have, I have done it, and I've seen other people do it too. For sure, and I think that was, I mean, you know, we'll do other podcast episodes where we get into, you know, common mistakes for first-time players. This is when I fell into a Scythe where I was thinking... Oh, this is a combat game. Right. And with all the upgrades you can do and the objectives you're trying to reach, there's so much more going on that, like, I think you're often better off 
either trying to get a quick combat victory early or like waiting till you've built up your engine a fair bit. I agree, and I, I didn't bring this up when I talked about it before. I kind of alluded to it in terms of our history of Scythe. <laughs> yeah. But so the first time we tried to learn Scythe, it took us so long, and we watched a bunch of how-to videos, we and did. it just was not clicking. And I think part of why it didn't click is because when you look at it, you your brain is thinking that it's one thing, and your brain goes to risk and fire and brimstone and people dying and Small armies crossing the world. Yeah. yeah. And in reality, it has so much more in common with a Euro game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it is an engine-building game before everything else. And yes. that is just not what you would think at first. And once you get over that hurdle, yeah, it just, like, unlocks. And it's a wonderful experience. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. What, what is uh, the first game in your top five, number five? Okay. So bear with me. This yeah. is the fourth and final <laughs> Garfield Games entry. Yeah. So the rest of the top five will be different. And I know this is very heavy, but I like what I like, and I will not apologize because they're just excellent. They are. So the one that makes it into my top five is the newest one that you and I both backed on Kickstarter. I believe, I know for me, this is my first ever kickstarter experience and i'm very glad that it was for this company yes did the promo cards the metal coins very happy with it this game is wayfarers of the south tigris yes the first game in the new trilogy the south tigris trilogy and i love so many things about this game there's only one thing that bothers me about this game it's very small and i'll get to it but wayfarers of the south tigris is part of this set of medieval trilogies that Mm -hmm. Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald are working on. And you can tell that some of that dice placement mechanic that was developed in Circadian's First Light made its way into this game, and Absolutely. it will continue to in the rest of the South trilogy, they've mentioned. This game is based in um, the same kind of time period as Raiders and Architects, but this time you are in the Middle East, specifically in Baghdad. And you are helping... Um, the Abbasid um, Caliphate basically explored the world. So yeah. historically accurate in that at that time, while you know Europe was in the quote-unquote dark ages, the Middle East was thriving in terms of exploration, culture, um, scientific science, yeah. um, astrology, astronomy, all of it. So in this game, you are basically helping to map the known world and they even calculated the, the circumference of the world. So you start off in your home base of Baghdad, and you're basically building a tableau by exploring land, exploring the seas, and then above it all, exploring the stars. So yeah. by the end of the game, you end up with this beautiful tableau of just land and sea and stars that can have planets, the sun, the oh, moon, yeah. comets beautiful vistas, cities, harbors, open sea, and it just, when it comes together, it looks really great. You're really what awesome. I will say, though, is that of all of these Garfield games illustrated by the Miko, I think this one looks the least great, at least of the ones on my list, hmm. in that the board itself is very beige. 
because mm-hmm. it's basically you're going along a journal track. So it makes sense, but it's just a journal. It's just pages on a journal. Mm-hmm. And it's just covered with a bunch of icons. And we'll get to the icons. And then surrounding the board, there's just a bunch of cards that are basically a marketplace, and you draft them, and you basically put them into your tableau. Yeah. Um, which And then the tableau itself looks great when it's built out. Right. Um, the dice basically work like workers, as was the case in Circadians. And then you also have workers that you can put on cards around the board to get resources, to get discounts, to buy tiles, to upgrade your caravan base. There's a lot going on. There is. Of every game on my list, in fact, every game that I own, this is definitely the most difficult um, the least accessible, and I would not recommend this game or try to teach this game to someone who has not played another one of these Medieval Kingdom trilogy games in the past. Yeah. And that leads to my one criticism of this game, which is the iconography. It is not bad, but there is so much of it. Like, there is a symbol for every land type. There's a symbol for every type of animal you need to go to a certain land so there's a camel there's a pigeon there's a sailboat there's a telescope there's a city there's a harbor there's all sorts of stuff there's dice plus one dice minus one provisions coins every kind of time there's a lot you're right about that um and i i don't really know a solution for it but other than that once you play it once and if you played some of the games that i mentioned before because the iconography carries through it is just amazing yeah and i love this game um and i think it has so much good replay value and it's just you have so many choices that you can almost always find a way to do what you need to do yeah for sure and i i'd love to uh pick up the conversation on this game because i you probably won't be surprised that it's gonna make an appearance on my list at some point too. yes yeah okay but so we'll we'll, sure. we'll come back to it but i think that covers like the big things but for sure. overall just absolutely stunning game yeah not for everybody it's for the experts it's for the people that want a challenge yeah it's yeah. it's definitely like in terms of complexity you're you know working your way up to it yeah. a little bit totally agree um number four on my list is a set collection game, one of my favorite set collection games. Is this a game that I don't like? It may be. (laughs) It is Splendor. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And, yeah, I'm a big fan of Splendor. I know. It's not that I don't not like it. It's So, I mean, what it comes down to to me is, like, it's just such an elegant type in some ways an engine builder because you are like building oh, up your buying capabilities and yeah so I mean you are playing I also think the theme's really good like you're playing as renaissance like gem collectors and you're like collecting gems of different colors five different colors and using them to buy up gem cards of those five different colors some of these cards you're buying are worth no victory points but they're increasing your buying power for later in the game because you have three rows of cards that your marketplace that you can buy from in the base game lowest level cards are the cheapest then second row that's mid middle mid level cost and point value and then the top level cards where you're probably not going to buy more than one or two of them over the course of an entire game in that top row but, but they're worth a lot but they're worth a lot of points and so a couple things I like about this game, I mean, honestly, in a way similar to Cascadia, I feel like this is a game that's 
pretty easy to teach and but like there are subtleties to it that are you know you probably it takes it at least a few times playing it to master just in terms of like maximizing turns and like thinking about how you know the moves that you're making are affecting other people and vice versa um the other thing i'll say is this game has some really good expansions that i think build on what it's doing really well i think of i may be wrong but i think of any game that i've seen in terms of buying one single expansion box yes you get the most value for sure out of that box because there's like different modules yeah but you're absolutely right there's so i mean you you get the base game um and then one single expansion box get, uh, unlocks four additional play modes basically um and so you know you've got one that makes it easier to like reserve cards to basically block other people from buying cards that you want You've got another one where, you know, basically adds a secondary market caravan where you can buy additional cards from it. And the one that's the thing that's fun about that is you can sometimes do a little chain reaction thing there where you buy the right card in the top level and it allows you to get a free one in the level below that. And so you can chain it together in some really interesting ways. But Nice, but yeah, no. Splendor's Splendor's a fun one. I I've should got correct. I, it's that. not that I don't like it. It's just it didn't wow me the one or two times we played it, yeah. and I feel like it just it didn't click. But I could I could see it clicking. Yeah, and I think if we worked in an expansion or two, I think you'd uh, you'd uh, yeah. Get it just a kick it just it. it felt a little bit plain. So maybe the expansions mm. would spice it up a bit. Yeah. All right. So that was your number four. That was number four. What's number four for you? Mine is Ankh, Gods of Egypt. There we go. This I is the reason why <laughs> things will not be fitting in the trunk to go to the cabin, <laughs> because even though I did not support this on Kickstarter at the time, because I didn't know about it at the time, I've since slowly acquired all the bits and pieces, and um, it's just so much fun. This is an area control game that is set in Egypt, as you can tell, and each person it plays as a different god. And each of these yeah. gods is a massive, I hesitate to call them a miniature, because they're so big. <laughs> they are they're big. So, they're probably like six inches tall, some of them. And they're so detailed, they're beautiful. And each one has an asymmetric power. You upgrade each one through upgrading your Ankh powers. There are giant guardian minis that you can recruit and you're basically trying to become the one remaining god of Egypt as Egypt goes from polytheism to monotheism. Yeah. And you're playing on this big, beautiful map. Um, you can, kind of like Scythe, you can be deceived into thinking that this is all about pillaging and destroying everything on the map and just killing other people. But this is a really, really nuanced, clever game in how it handles combat, in that each combat event is triggered after every few events and there can be up to five of them in a game and you play a card each time you're in a battle with somebody and some of these cards will actually reward you for losing by giving you followers that are kind of like your currency or giving you devotion points for dying 
-hmm. and devotion is how you win the game so i've had situations happen where like i got more devotion from losing a fight than someone else did from winning and that is just really dynamic and you Mm -hmm. also get a ton of devotion for controlling monuments having a majority of each monument type on the board um and there's 12 different gods if you have everything for this game there are dozens of gods there's like eight level one eight level two eight level three guardians yeah there's so much like there's a whole book of different modules for how you set it up so i think this game just has so much replay value yeah i haven't even really like scraped the surface of it and i i've definitely played it probably over 15 times i have played with every single god except one from the kickstarter expansion that i only got last week yeah well and so the guardians you've got i think is it one or two of each level that you're playing it with depends in a given on, game? it depends on your player count and it also depends on the um module that you're playing got it. so it could be up to three up to three. um the level three ones i think there's only two um but this yeah. game is just i love it it is a bit polarizing because of one mechanic um, if you're playing with three to five people, there is a point in the game where the people, the two players that are furthest back on the devotion track, will merge into one mega god. So these are the two players that are at losing lowest like, score, lowest, at that game. and they will drop back to the person in last place spot on the devotion board. But they will combine both their god powers, their followers, their guardians, and it's supposed to be like a big catch-up mechanic. Some people absolutely despise this and say it ruins the entire game. I really like it because it's so different and I've been on both ends of it and I think it really works. Um, And it can make you think like, oh, maybe I shouldn't screw Ryan over because he and I are going to merge and I don't want him to be that far behind. So you think counterintuitively. It changes the game theory. Yeah, and I've, I've seen people win as the merge god and come back and win. I've seen people be ahead and still win despite the merge. So I don't think it's broken. And I think it just adds so much value to the game. And if you don't like it, I guess you could just not play with it. And there is actually one module in it that plays with no merge. So again, it it just gives you so many options. There's so much going on. And this is my favorite area control game. And it's just the most stunning experience to look at on the table because of how dynamic those miniatures are. Yeah, no, the I mean, the miniatures are incredible. They really are. And I think the other thing I agree with you on is is the merge mechanic because like it it's I think it's one of the most innovative ways I think to get around the problem like someone's really far behind and becomes disengaged. Because, exactly. Because like this like but at the same time it it because you're the two players are falling back to that lowest player spot like you're not going to have people tanking on purpose either. No, and you also don't want to tank on purpose because something else that is a little bit controversial about it is that, as I mentioned, there are, four, there are five conflicts that can happen. Yeah. If by the end of the fourth conflict you haven't made it past a certain point on the devotion track, you are completely in, eliminated from the game. Right. Like player elimination style, you are out. Yeah. I could see why some people don't like that, but as I said, I've probably played this a dozen and a half times, maybe approaching two dozen times, it has never once happened to anybody. Right. And, as I said, it's at the end of the fourth conflict. There's only one left. So, at very worst, if it did happen to someone, like they would only be out maybe 15, game. 20 minutes of the game, and you can yeah. just see how that last conflict plays out. 
Yeah. And having that person who has no chance of winning out of the game would just speed up that final round anyway. So that's Aunt Gods of Egypt. Love it. Super yeah. cool theme. Super cool table presence. Very fun twist on area control and combat. Totally agree. So that brings us into the top three. This does bring us into the top three. What do you three. have? Well, I'm pretty sure that two of our three are the same. I agree with that. And so um, my next one, my number three is Wingspan. Okay. And that is not my number three. That is not your number three? No, but do tell. But I think for Wingspan, um, I mean, there's so much to love about this game. I, like, it's, it's one of my favorite tableau builders for sure. And I think the artwork on the cards is really, really stunning. Mm-hmm. I also just love the attention to detail. The fact that every card is unique. It has like some kind of fun fact or scientific info is, or a map of the yeah. world of where the bird comes from. Yeah, it's is, amazing. Is really really fun. Um, I what another thing I really like about this game is there are multiple paths to victory, and I like the complexity of the scoring, where especially once you get into some of the expansions like the Oceania uh, expansion, um, like. To me, like, if you have a game where there's only one or two components to the scoring, I feel like a lot of times there, you lose something in terms of replay value. But in this game, I like that you're pulling scoring from five or six different categories. Right. And, like, it makes you, one, pay attention to every turn because... You, you are turn limited. You are turn limited, and you become more term limited as the game goes on. So, um, I imagine many listeners have played this game, but I probably should have led with just like a basic intro. But basic idea is is you're starting a bird sanctuary, and so you are playing bird cards with various, some with various abilities, some that are just worth points at the end, and uh, playing them in different habitats. Um, acquiring the food to play the cards and laying eggs for points laying eggs for cards exactly and so and each each of those three habitats is paired with one of those actions right so like every turn you're taking an action of either playing a bird card drawing more bird cards to your hand laying eggs for points or to pay for bird costs and or gathering food yeah and yeah i just I really like the um, the artwork in this game. I really like the um, the bird powers are really fun. Like the engine building, I think making the engine building so modular, I think is a really really it, fun. And mechanic. it's so satisfying. It when really you, is. When you gain food and you have four birds in your forest, which is paired with the gain food action, and you get your food, but then you also get a bunch of extra stuff or more like cash points yeah it just it's so satisfying it really love is. wingspan very fun game and we will come back to wingspan but first i'm gonna give you my number three yes what's what do you got my number three is everdell specifically the complete collection yes which you and i both own yes um and i think it is important to say that the complete collection is really what makes this game because Agreed. if it wasn't for all the expansions 
I think this game would still be in my top 10, but it would be much lower down. Probably not top five. Definitely not in the top five. Yeah. And the reason for that is because I think, as you mentioned, it's Splendor. There are some games that um, once you play through them a couple of times, they get a little bit stale. And I think that base game Everdell can fall victim to that because the deck yes. gets repetitive and the spots on the board kind of stay the same. Yeah. But with the expansions thrown in, this game just transforms into like, it's so dynamic. There's so much replay value. It really shines. Um, I would honestly recommend, and I would just say, even if you're teaching someone Everdell, and I've done this recently, I would not play without the New Leaf expansion because it adds in additional cards in the meadow. It adds so many new cards to the deck, more flexibility in how you score points. Um, as well as the Belfair expansion, which gives you the marketplace, yes. unique player powers. It's all great. Yeah. Um, and then Spirecrest and Pearlbrook, you can put those in if you want some more like modular challenges. Yeah, I would, I would, would you agree that probably for first-time players, not adding in Spirecrest? Depends who it is. But sure. generally, I don't think you need to. I think you with right. New Leaf on its own, you could just have an amazing experience and Belfair. Yeah, um, it gives you enough. Yeah, but this game, I mean, it also is just probably my favorite game in terms of its artwork. Mm -hmm. It is adorable. It is all about, if you read Redwall as a kid, oh, yeah. you would love this game. It yes. is all about like animal, anthropomorphic animal creatures who are building a city in the woods. Yep. And you're just building a little mine and putting your miner mole in it, and then you build a palace, and your queen comes and lives in it, and she's a little cute mouse in a dress. It's it's great. Like yeah, it's so much fun, and it gives you that same satisfaction that Wingspan gives you. In that once your stuff, once your tableau starts to build out and chain, you get so many resources, you get many cool abilities and powers. Everdell is great. Um, strongly recommend if you love this game if you played the base game or are curious play the base game if you like it definitely delve into the expansions and you will not regret it that's yeah. my number three Avidel, the complete collection love it top and two time top two time and uh well we probably don't need to belabor my number two game that much because everdell uh, is my number two the game. complete collection the co complete collection exactly um, the other thing I would, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said about Everdell. The other thing I will say is I like how it kind of pulls like components like inspired by other games and like kind of like mixes it them up in its own kind of unique medley. I'm thinking of like with the uh, Pearlbrook expansion, you've got the wonders that you can build, which is you know, kind of reminiscent of Architects of the West Kingdom. Very reminiscent. It almost makes that game like Architects yeah, in a lot of ways. It really does. Um, and another thing I really like about this game is, uh, I mean, the Spirecrest expansion, especially like, so, I mean, in a lot of Tableau Builders, this applies to Wingspan as well as Everdell. I feel like you, you're so conflicted on those last turns because there's so many different directions you could go and you're just trying to maximize points to the best of your ability. And I feel like Spirecrest in particular accentuates that dilemma because right. not only are you conserving resources to play 
so buildings in your city. Yeah, or your your last few. So yeah, you've got the, your tableau of fifteen spots in your city, building a combination of buildings and critters, and you're trying to fill that up. But you also have resources you're trying to set aside to go on your journey, journey yeah, for which your is bonus worth a lot points. Of points. And yeah, both of those can be worth a lot of points at the end. So it's going to be very case specific which options better for you in a given game. And before we move on from Everdell, I do want to say about Spirecrest, the giant um, animals. Yes, I'm that glad you, you ride. mentioned that. They're they're amazing. There's like a moose. There's a vulture. There's a peacock. There is a grizzly, and, uh, a yak. And it's not awesome. only you just ride them. And it's not awesome. only are they visually stunning. Do you want to just touch on? Oh, they're very powerful. Like yeah. You basically use them instead of one of your workers, and they can do what your workers do, and then each of them has a different unique power that might give you additional resources or um, an extra movement. They're just, they're very powerful, and they just, they make you feel great when you have them. It's like the Guardians in Ankh. You just feel like you're going to win no matter what, because you have this amazing figurine on your side. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's very true. I will say the one thing that makes Spirecrest... I would say the most challenging of the expansions is that's counterbalanced with the fact that you have season cards that make resource gathering more difficult. Yes, it's it's mean. But yeah, if you like a challenge, yeah. Enjoy. Absolutely. Great. So this my brings number us two. to number two for you. Yeah. Yes. What do you got? My number two, and this is gonna take us back to the discussion we had at the very beginning about Dune Imperium. Yes. My number two is Lost Ruins of Arnak. Excellent. The game that is constantly compared to Dune Imperium. Yeah. And Dune Imperium is constantly compared to it. Yeah. In that it is a combination of worker placement and deck building. Yeah. And Lost Ruins of Arnak, I love it because unlike Dune, I think the theme is cool. I'm not really a Dune fan. I don't generally love... Mm. IP games yeah, and I think Dune Imperium just visually doesn't look as cool Yeah. Um, but Lost Ruins of Arnak is basically like Indiana Jones as a board game unofficially yeah. Yeah. you are exploring this deserted island that has the ruins of this lost civilization on it and you are basically venturing further and further along this research track that will eventually lead you to the lost temple of Arnak and you can take tiles from that temple to get points. You discover new sites on the island and each one of them is beautiful and when you find it you will have to defeat the scary guardian that is guarding it. It could be a giant frog or a giant um, spider or a lizard or some scary animal and they give you points when you defeat them. You get little idols from discovering new sites and it's basically a really satisfying resource management worker placement deck building experience where you put your workers on sites you get the resources on that site you can spend coins to buy items you can spend compasses to buy artifacts the artifacts are really powerful the items go into your deck and you draw a new hand every time so you're building your deck you want to exile the the fair cards that take up space in your deck and do nothing but make you lose a point at the end of the game. Um, you can hire assistants. And basically, as you go along from round one to round five, each round is just going to open up. And you're going to have so many more options for what you can do, kind of like Everdell. Yeah. Um, 
And it's just so satisfying when you can just like chain a bunch of things, play a bunch of cards, um, move your people around because of special abilities, defeat guardians, have the right icons, and it lets you move up that one extra space on the research track, or discover one new site, or defeat one new guardian, or draw a new card from your deck. And it's just, it's a chaining experience of excellence. And if, even if you don't win, if you felt like your engine was up and running during the game, yeah, you're just gonna feel like everything clicks together seamlessly. And I will just say for the one expansion that's out right now, I think there's another one coming out at some time in 2023. Um, but right now the Expedition Leaders expansion, I think it's a must have. Um, and I, I have taught people the game with it. The game expects you to, it actually suggests that of the six um, Expedition Leaders it gives you, it gives you two that it recommends for first-time first time players. players. And they yeah. are it's not that they're more powerful or less powerful, they are just a little bit more accessible. More straightforward. Yeah. yeah, so one of them is literally powers. his his power is you get an extra um worker. Right. So you very just, just give someone that one, they can turns. get going. Yeah, this game is beautiful, it is awesome, the artwork is amazing, the theme is really cool and different. Yes. Um the only thing I don't like is I think that some of the components and the box itself feel a little bit cheap the relative to some games. Um, but overall, it's amazing. Like the arrowheads and the tablets and the rubies are really nice plastic. Everything is thick cardboard except for the player aids. Love this game. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. And... Um... I mean, I, I'm a big fan of this game, too. I probably would have put it in my top ten, if not for the fact that I know how much you like it and figured you probably would. So you got, it got representation. So, yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to switch it up a little bit and uh, throw a little bit of love to Dune Imperium's way, but glad that both the games got, got a little bit of a mention here. But, yeah. I have no clue what your number one is going to be. I think you know what mine is going to be, but... I do. I think yeah. so. What um, is your number one? My number one is Wayfarers of the oh. South Tr Tigris. Wow. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I blanked. Oh, yeah. obviously. Although yeah. I was, I'm shocked Architects didn't I make know. it. I know. I know, because wow. you know how much I like Architects of the I West know. Kingdom. But, so, basically my thought on this was, I love Shem Phillips games. And, I mean, just from the four that you've talked about, like, from Garfo Games, like, big, big fan. Yeah. For this, just based on the criteria I put for myself of, like, weekend camping trip, bringing 10 games, wanted the variety. I wanted to, you know, give a little space for, like, other designers. And so I ju just limited myself to just one Garfo game. But this one is absolutely my favorite one for a lot of the reasons that you talked about right. earlier. Right, and it was, it was my favorite, too. I mean, it was in my top, it was the only one in my top five. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a few things about this game that are really fun. I think I think the big thing for me is like it's a tableau builder, but like it's like a multi-layer tableau builder. Absolutely. Because not only are you building out your land and sea cards to each side of you, building out from your initial player map and above it too and above it too <laughs> with the with the constellations and, and then the tucking planets. the townsfolk under it exactly yeah. there's so much going on so much to keep track of and then i also 
really, really love one of my favorite mechanics from Garfield games in these medieval trilogies is the worker placements of different colors and having color-coded workers that some workers can go right to, like this was it was in Raiders of the North Sea exactly Raiders as well where you have some restrictions on where you can place your meeples some can only go to um, spots that I think are like blue or green and some mm -hmm. can only go to spots. The way, the way it works is there's yellow and blue. Yes. The yellow is kind of tied with the land right. area. The blue is kind of tied with the water and then some can do both. And the green is basically a wild. The green can yes. go on anything. And there's right. somewhere only the green can go. Yeah. And I really like that mechanic of the game because it it introduces just that extra layer of strategy where you're that added limitation to what you can do with a meeple. I also like the fact that you're combining meeples and dice placement and mm -hmm. just have that variability too where you've got two different components of your worker placement and both of them have a limitation on how the they workers can be used. Things. And they do different things as well, right? Yeah, I think you're right that like if you had to choose one, not only is this my favorite, but I think, I mean, we obviously have not talked about Viscounts of the West Kingdom or Paladins of the West Kingdom or right. the other two um, North Sea games. Or right, Shipwrights. Right. Yeah, or some of the ancient anthology games or Circadian's Chaos Order. Those are all their other games. But I think... Of the ones that I listed, I think that something that I really like about Wayfarers is that it is almost taking mechanics from, from all each of them. Of them. Yeah. Like you have the different worker worker colors from Raiders. You've got um, the adornments. You have the dice from Circadians. You have the townsfolk and inspiration cards working as adornments from Architects. Yeah. There is so much going on, and again, as as we said earlier, that can be a little intimidating. Yes. And there's a learning curve, but once you unlock it, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're both in agreement on that. And I think like, but yeah, a good idea to work up to it. Playing it with someone who's at least played some other complex worker placement games and maybe maybe starting with uh, Raiders of the North Sea or Architects of the West Kingdom and working Yeah, if to only to get the iconography. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say about this game is that I have only played it at two players, and I'm curious to see how it would feel at three or four. And I would, That's fair. Because one, it takes up a ton of space on the table once you build up that tableau. It does. And two, if you're not playing where people are taking snappy turns, there's a lot going on, and it can be paralyzing. It can so if you hard. have a high... Um, player count, it could take a little long and you could have big gaps between turns to the yes. point where like you may not even remember what you're gonna do on your turn. Right. Um which again that that's partially, you know, some players do that more than others and also just when you have that much going on in a game. Yes. Um, Especially the it's first gonna few times you yeah. play it. Um yeah. yeah. So no. maybe don't play with more than two people until you are everyone involved is, is familiar. Familiar with the game. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a that's a good a good caveat. But yeah. Great. Fantastic game. And my number one yes. is Wingspan. Love it. Yep. So as I as I said with Everdell, I will say 
This is Wingspan with the expansions. Yes. Particularly the Oceania expansion. Yeah. As you mentioned, something that you love about Wingspan with the expansions is the flexibility yes. and the multiple strategies. Yes. Base Wingspan has been criticized, and I think we've had this experience of the final round becomes an egg-laying fest. Yeah. Where you just lay eggs for every turn as long as you have spaces to put eggs. Once Oceania... And then, like, the European expansion, which is more birds. Right. But once Oceania came in, it really shook things up. Because you add in the nectar as a wild food. You add in the game-end birds. There's a new player board that actually nerfs the eggs. So you don't get as many eggs as you did on the original board. And the board itself also gives you options for resetting the bird feeder, resetting, resetting the bird tray. The birds themselves have new powers that like let you score points in different ways. So there's many new ways to cash food or tuck cards yeah. or do other things that score you points, draw bonus cards. Yeah. So it really um, encourages you to lean less on just laying eggs. Well, and it, it increases the opportunity cost of choosing to lay eggs. Exactly, yeah. because you might be missing out on other things. It's... It really just adds to the game. Um, the Asia expansion is also amazing. I particularly love um, the kind of push-your-luck elements that some of those Asia birds have. Yeah. And the new two-player mode is fantastic. Um, it really spices up a two-player game in terms of how the end-round goals work without right. detracting from the game itself. Yeah. Um, it's still wingspan. It just adds a new two-player element to it that I really like. Cannot wait for all the other expansions, and I look forward to putting them all in my giant first printing nesting box that I'm very happy with. And yeah, I think just as I said with Cascadia, I just love that I can teach this game to anybody. I love that win or lose, you just feel really proud of what you've built at the end. I yeah. said that with Cascadia, Wayfarers, Everdell. It's amazing just having that tableau in front of you and feeling like you built something really cool. Yeah. And, you know, this is not the most complex game on my list. It's probably not the one that even impresses me the most or that is the most exciting, but it remains my number one because I know that I'm always gonna be in the mood to play wingspan if someone suggests it there's never a time i'll be like oh i can't do it tonight or that's boring and if i play it it's gonna be a strategic experience it's gonna be a relaxing experience basically anyone you're playing with is yeah. gonna have fun yeah and the theme is amazing and i give it so much credit for kind of launching this new period of um nature themed board games into the stratosphere like there's so many games that are coming out now that are based cascadia included based yeah. on national parks and there animals and plants and all this stuff and i think wingspan really was the breakthrough in showing that that is a successful theme and as an audience for it and it brings so many people who don't even like board games that much into the hobby like i've seen wingspan for sale at gift stores in national parks oh yeah yeah and there's not many games that do that yeah. i think it deserves so much credit for that and i think that makes it worthy of a number one spot no for sure i think that's a great choice and uh i mean you just uh elizabeth hargrove hargrave the game creator you just mm -hmm. really see her you know passion for the subject matter shining through yeah i mean she 
I mean, she's designed multiple games. None of them have been quite as successful as Wingspan, which that's a... High nor bar. should they be. Like, Wingspan, yeah, Wingspan <laughs> is a generation-defining game in the hobby, like Catan was, or Ticket to Ride. Like, yeah. it is that level. So by no means should she be expected to do that again. Like, it is an achievement in and of itself. I haven't played her other games. I'm kind of curious to play one that's coming out yeah. this year called The Fox Experiment. That's okay, all yeah. about, like, breeding foxes in Russia. Huh. Yeah, sounds interesting. Again, nature yeah. theme. She did Mariposas. It's about butterfly did she migration. Do no, she didn't do Calico. Um, oh, she okay. did Tussie Mussie. That's about flowers. I see. Um, so it's definitely her thing. And yeah. yeah, I just, and also, I mean, she has brought so many new people in based on the theme. Um, great to see a woman designer in the hobby that's, you know, been very much dominated by men. Um, historically yeah yeah and i just i just love wingspan i think it deserves all the praise it gets and i know that some people don't love it and some people think that it's too solitary and there's not enough interaction and that's fine if that's not your thing it's not your thing but for me it just is perfect and yeah. it's not a huge time commitment so you can even play another heavy game like play a game of wayfarers and bust your brain and then you know just close out the night with a game of wingspan and everybody yeah. will be happy for sure it's no and you know, I I'm really glad we did this too. Like we had some overlap in our list, so yeah. we also had some that you know were not the same as each other. And I think even the ones that were the same, we sometimes like different things about it. Definitely. And I just I like how we were kind of able to bring some of that out in in the conversation today. Yeah, and I mean we we did talk about each of these games a good bit, but these games will definitely be back in future discussions we will review them as they deserve to be reviewed yeah um some of them we may have separate discussions um of their expansions yeah some of them we may talk about rank them relative to others in their series Mm -hmm. or we may have a great uh dune versus arnak debate we'll see how (laughs) that goes and then some of these like wingspan um lost ruins of arnak Wayfarers of the South Tigris will definitely have future expansions coming. Yes. And we can look forward to the sequel to Scythe coming in a few months. Yeah, Expeditions, so, that's right. Yep. So these games will be back um, yeah. if you're interested in learning more about them. And we will probably do another top 10 at some point. Yeah. And we'll see which of these stand the test of time or which were one hit wonders that you know fell off the charts and and which uh and who which, can topple them yeah which yeah. usurpers are added to the top 10 list yep. in, in future future editions but thanks for tuning in we'll see you at the gaming table